This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Nice to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning in June of 2018. What a wonderful time to be alive. Man, this is the best time to be alive in the history of the world. And you know, I hear people say, well, I wish I could have been in that era. Well, I mean, too bad you're not. You're alive right now in 2018. You were born for such a time as this. It's not a mistake that you are alive right now. It's not a mistake that you're here at the time that you're here because God has a plan for you. God wants you here. Amen. Well, we're going to message this morning. We're going to do a little Sunday morning series in a couple weeks called 100. And so put that up there. And if you outline, raise your hand. Any of you ever seen this emoji on your phone called the 100 emoji? That proves your age right there. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to be mean. If you're under 30, you've seen the, the, the emoji that just says 100. And, uh, and a lot of times people are like, well, what does that even mean? I don't, it just says 100. Well, that means 100%, man. That means just keeping it real. That means all the way. And so I'm thinking about there's a lot of different things in this world that aren't 100%. Okay, there's a lot of things that you cannot count on to be the same every week, the same every day. There's a lot of things that change and are unstable. But there is one thing that I know of that doesn't change, and that's Jesus Christ. He's 100. He's 100 percent all the time. Thank God that he never gives a 50 percent effort. Thank God that he never he just doesn't feel like doing it that day. Thank God that Jesus doesn't have an off day like we have. Amen. Because there's some days you just don't feel like doing your job. There's some days you just don't feel like going to church or whatever the case is. But Jesus is never like that. He shows up every time. He goes to bat for you every time. He fights for you every single day. And listen, Jesus is a hundred. He's a hundred percent. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. The one that watches over you never takes a day off. That's pretty good news. If for no other reason, let's give the Lord some praise for that this morning. Amen. God is good. Well, uh, Today, the title is Jesus Gives 100%. Uh, and so the first thing I'm going to say is this. Number one, let's just dive into this, man. I'm excited. Number one is this, is that he'll leave 99 to chase one. Jesus will leave 99 others to chase down that one that wandered off. And I know a lot of times we're thinking, well, God must be mad at me. Listen, God's not mad at you. He loves you. He, he, he's going to chase you down. He'll leave the 99 other perfect little lambs to go chase down the one. And there's no shame in that. God is not mad at you. Jesus is not mad at you. Jesus loves you more than you could ever possibly know. And some of us are thinking, well, I've heard that a thousand times. You've heard it, but you haven't got it in your heart yet. Or you wouldn't sit there looking that way and feeling that way. He would leave the 99 others to chase down the one. And you're like, well, where are we getting that at? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Let's turn to Luke 15 this morning. Amen. Amen. God is going to speak to us today. Luke chapter 15. And I believe that we need to hear this word today. We need to hear. We need to hear 
Jesus is 100. We need to hear how Jesus is consistent, how he is always there. But Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And Matthew tells this exact same story, but Luke puts a little bit of a different spin on it. So uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to look here at verses 4 through 7 in this New Living Translation. And it says this, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And so, listen, Jesus has a lot of sheep. He has a lot of children. I've got four kids, and if I were to lose one, I wouldn't be like, well, I've got three others. I'm good. and just let them go. And sometimes we kind of feel, I, maybe we don't. We don't say that, but sometimes I sense that people kind of feel that I think that God's kind of forgotten about me just because I I kind of wandered off and he didn't forget about you. How could you forget one of your kids? How could you just I mean, come on. He says he'll he'll chase down that one. So look here at verse five. And when he has found it, he will tear into that little sheep and rip him and, and he will just yell at him. No. What does it say he's going to do? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he has found it, he will carefully, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Amen. I mean, that's the God that we serve. And a lot of times people don't see him that way. They see some angry old man. They see some cranky guy up there just ready to, you know, to drill you with something. That is not our God. Yes, he's a God of, of justice. Yes, there is a moral standard by which we live, and that is undeniable. Yes, we are held accountable, and we are, and you know, we're to live according to the standard of the Word of God. Nothing takes that away. But God is not an angry, cranky old man, okay? He loves you. And when he finds that one lost sheep that wandered off, he carries it home on his shoulders. He's happy. He tells everybody else, get over here. I finally found him. I got him back. Let's rejoice. And he throws a great big party. And so this, to me, is one of the most beautiful illustrations that Jesus told in all of Scripture. Now, he's talking about a shepherd in this story. And and how many shepherds do I have in the house today? Exactly. You don't have one in here. Because, there's you know, we aren't really in, a, in that type of a community. But in Israel, okay, being a shepherd, I mean, tending sheep, even to this day, it's still a legit thing, okay? And And, you know, you hear stories about these shepherds, they're not playing around. They're not playing around. They spend the night out in the field with the sheep. They sleep out there with their sheep. They will risk their lives for their sheep. And Jesus said in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And we're like, okay, that's cute. But somebody in Israel, they get that. They're like, whoa, he's the good shepherd. He, he, and Jesus went on to say in John 10, he said, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd would lay his life down. For his sheep. And I gotta be honest, I'm thinking, sheep are pretty dumb. Sheep are stupid. Can I throw that picture up there? They just kinda have this weird look on their face all the time, like, would you die for that? I would, I would eat that, I would kill that and eat it, but I, I wouldn't die for that. Sorry if you're an animal lover, but, uh, 
I like meat. <laughs> I'm going to bacon night when we do have that. So, uh, but, but you know, just, just, just keeping it real. Like Jesus said, I, I would, I would die for the sheep. And I'm like, you would die for the sheep? I wouldn't die for a sheep. And Jesus is talking about us, his people. And sometimes, I mean, we see people, I see people that look like that. Have you ever seen anybody in Walmart that looks like that? Walmart's a good place to go. If you want, if you want to feel good about yourself, go to Walmart. Go to Food for Less at night time. I feel real winter. Anyway, uh, that's mean. But, but so, you know, you, you see people and you're like, and, and, and like, what's going on with this guy right here? But Jesus says, I love that guy so much. I don't, I don't see, I don't see the quirks. I don't see the imperfections. I see somebody that I love. I would die for that person. I would die for that sheep. I, I'd take a bullet for that one. And, and why is that? It's because Jesus is 100%. He has no favorites. He, you can't make him love you anymore, make him love you any less. Jesus loves all of us the exact same. And isn't that hard to comprehend? Because all of us, man. I mean, there's some people that are just more lovely than others. It's a whole lot easier to get along with some people than it is to get along with other people. It's a whole lot easier to, to, to be around some people. I mean, it's like I could understand dying for this guy over here, but that one? And Jesus doesn't see it that way. He says, I would, I, I'd leave those 99 to chase that one down. That one you're making fun of? That's the one that I'd chase down into the woods. That's the one that I would die for right there. Because Jesus is on a whole other level than we are. He's beyond our comprehension. He's beyond anything that we can understand because Jesus is nonstop every day, takes no day off, 365 days a year. He works weekends. He works nights. Jesus is always on the clock, always there for us because he loves us that much. And I'm going to look at a verse this morning that's probably familiar to some of you if you know the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. But let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And, um, you know, usually we, we look at this chapter, uh, through the, through the eyes of examining our human relationships. You know, it tells us love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And, uh, and so that, I love it. I mean, I read that with my kids all the time because they need to hear that a lot. Love is patient and kind. It pays no attention to when you were wronged. And, and, you know, kids, they need that a lot. But, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, I want to look at this through the eyes of how Jesus loves you. Okay? And so love or Jesus to you never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful. And endures through every circumstance. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's how we are to love other people. But that's how Jesus loves us. Jesus looks down and says, man, I'm never going to give up on him. I'm never going to lose faith in that guy. I'm always going to have hope. I'm going to endure for him until the end and through every single circumstance. I love him. I love her that much that I'll never give up. And that is, I mean, that's incredible to think that God Almighty, Jesus, loves us that much. Because his love for us is unconditional. And that's what you've got to understand, because we use the word love. And and, and in English, we're masters of absolutely just 
butchering words. We're the worst at it. I mean, we use words in the wrong context all the time. You know, we, we use the word love for so many things that it's not appropriate to use that for. You know what I mean? Like, I love that burger place. So I, I love, you know, this football team. And, and like, oh, okay, you like them a lot, but you're going to use the word love for that? that? That's an inappropriate context to use that word. And so because we misuse words so much, we let stuff like this fly right over our head because when we say love, there's a human way of loving and then there's a God way of loving. Now, the human way of loving is very conditional, right? Come on. I will love you with all my heart as long as you love me with all your heart. I will. I would lay down my life for you as long as you'll lay down your life for me. I will do this for you, but you've got to do this for me in exchange, and then we're even. And, and so human love, is it, 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 it always has strings attached to it. I'll love you if. I'll never leave you as long as you don't do this. But if you do that, then peace, deuces, I'm out. And that's human love. And that is not God's way of love. God's love is unconditional. It says, I will love you forever, even if you don't love me back. I will treat you right even if you curse me and spit in my face. I'm still going to love you anyway. There's nothing that you can do that could make God love you any more than he already does or any less than he does. There's nothing. And I mean, that that's pretty deep to, to, to even wrap our mind around that. There's nothing we can do to make him love us any more or any less. God's love is as good as it gets. There's nothing higher than that, and he's never going to lower it for us. And as a human being, that is hard to comprehend because within ourselves, within our own emotions, within our own soul, we don't have that capability. But through the born-again spirit, we do have that capability. When your spirit is born again, you can love like God loves. And that's the deepest love that there possibly is. I was thinking of this story I heard of, of this pastor. He's a great pastor. His name's Bayless Conley. He pastors one of the largest churches in America. It's in Orange County. And he was telling the story of how he came to the Lord. And so back in the day, he was, he was a drugged out hippie. Okay. He had long hair and a beard and, and, and uh, he was, he was a straight up hippie. And so one night he came this close to killing himself on drugs. And so he wakes up the next day and he, uh, and he's at a park in Orange County. And, and so he's wandering around the park and he, and he's, I mean, just in a daze and he tells the Lord, okay, listen, and all he can think about is Jesus. And he, he wasn't raised in church. He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but he finally looks up to heaven and says, all right, talk to me somehow today. And so he walks past this little kid on the playground. He's stumbling around and this little kid walks past and he feels the anointing of God on a little boy. And he doesn't know what the anointing is. All he knows is when this kid walks by, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not drugged out anymore. He's instantly sober. He's instantly in his right mind. And something happened to him from the anointing of God off of a little kid. Because who knows that little kids can have the anointing of God. Because most little kids know Jesus in a whole level that some of us don't even know him in. And so he wanders off in, into the woods here, the grown man, Bayless Conley. He sits down beside this creek. And a few minutes later, the little boy comes into the woods and sits down right across from him on the other side of the creek and just stares at him. And he says, do you know Jesus? He's like, no, I don't. He's like, 
Well, let me tell you about him. And this little boy, like seven, eight years old, preaches the gospel to him right there in the woods, leads him to Jesus. He gives his life to Jesus. And now this man pastors a 30,000 member church and travels all over the world. But it happened because Jesus sent a little boy to the park that day to preach to a man that he knew was going to help change the world. A lot of people would have given up on somebody like that, but not Jesus, because he'll leave the 99 to chase down the one. He won't give up on people that we give up on because his love endures long. His love is patient and kind. His love always endures through every circumstance. I thank God that Jesus loves us a lot better than we love him sometimes. Amen. And so the second thing we're going to say today is this. Is he gave 100% on the cross. You got to realize that the cross was the real deal. This, uh, uh, this, this, there was no halfway about this. The cross was 100% legit. Jesus died, but thank God he rose again. Amen. And so let's look at the most famous scripture on all of Christianity. John 3.16. John 3.16. And no doubt most people here could quote this verse. John 3.16. Are we getting anything today? Is the Lord speaking to you? And so the, the goal today is this, is for you to really get a brand new revelation on the inside of you that you are loved. And I mean, sometimes we, you know, we have messages that are here to correct us, to kind of rough us up a little bit. And I like those. But every now and then we need one that uh, that just demonstrates the love of God to us. Sometimes we need that. And so John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe you've heard that verse a million times like I have. I have no doubt I've probably heard that about a million times. And most people in here have. But let's stop and think about that for just a minute today. God loved you so much that he gave his son to pay for your screw-ups. There's nothing fair about that at all. You got the better end of that deal. The only perfect guy paid the paid the price for everybody else's mistakes and sins. That makes no sense whatsoever. And so imagine this. Imagine you're in a courtroom this morning and uh, and you're sitting there watching the trial take place. And the judge hands down his sentencing. We got a guy here. He's being convicted for the third time of armed robbery. Now, this is a makeup story. But anyway, and so so we got this guy and the judge. This is your third time doing Sending you to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And as he's getting ready to bang it down right there, some perfect person stands up. Someone like Betty over here. And so <laughs> I know a few perfect people, Betty and Debbie, or a few. If Cindy's in here, she's one of them. But anyway, and so someone like Betty stands up and says, you know what? Wait, time out. I'll go to prison for him instead. I will pay the price for what he did wrong. And in fact, here's the keys to my mansion. He can go live in my mansion and I'll go to the prison for him. And the judge is like, okay, fair enough. You go to prison. You're free. Get out. And he brings the gavel out. I'd be like, what? There's nothing just about that at all. 
There's nothing fair. She doesn't deserve that, but he does deserve that punishment. And, and, and yet, and even out of all, not only does he get out of prison, not only does he get out of the punishment, he, now he gets to go live in a beautiful mansion somewhere? That is not fair for one second. But that's what Jesus did for us. You were getting ready to get sentenced to death. You are getting ready to get sentenced to an eternity in hell, which all of us, myself included, so rightfully deserve. I deserve, you know, we all have, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve it. But instead, Jesus went down to hell for us. We get out of hell. And beyond that, we get to go live in heaven in a mansion someday. And walk on streets of gold forever and ever and be in the presence of God Almighty instead of, that's not fair. There's nothing fair about that at all. But Jesus did it anyway. And so how could I live a halfway life for Him? How could I live a half-baked, halfway, yeah, when I have time, I'll get to you, Jesus. Now, if I, if I got extra time this week, I'll toss you a bone. How could I live that way for Him? When I should be headed for hell right now, but I am not because Jesus went down there for three days for me. He whooped the devil, got the keys to death, hell and the grave and came back up and rose again. That's a pretty, I mean, come on. This is a, this is the real thing right here. He gave 100% on the cross. And so grace is a beautiful thing. If you don't understand the grace of God, grace is a beautiful thing because grace gives you what you don't deserve and stops you from getting what you do deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve, heaven, and stops you from getting what you do deserve, hell. That's a pretty good thing right there. The grace of God is a beautiful gift. And we all know that, well, I've been saved by grace, brother. We know that. But sometimes we got to let that sink in for a minute that we get to go to heaven. We don't deserve heaven, but we get to go there. And man, if we could go on talking about heaven, I could talk about heaven all day long. I love to talk about heaven. Heaven is beyond anything we could even comprehend. I could talk about heaven for a little bit, but we don't have time today. But I'm telling you this much. You want to go there. You want to go there. There's no, I wouldn't risk I wouldn't risk heaven for anything in this world. There's no amount of money you could offer me that could convince me to even risk my salvation. There, there's nothing, no power, no authority, no money. There's nothing in this world that is worth losing heaven over for even one second. We've got to get that. And so that's why Jesus gave 100 percent on the cross. I heard this story about Billy Graham. Who remembers Billy Graham? Uh, he just died a couple months ago, but he, he's incredible. But one time he was driving through a small southern town. This is a long time ago, long time ago. And he got pulled over for a speeding ticket. He was going 10 miles over the speed limit. And so he goes to the court and stands before the judge. And the judge is like, how do you plead? And he says, I, I'm guilty. I did it. And so the judge is getting ready to, you know, to, to have him pay the ticket. And he realizes, whoa, wait, whoa, I know you. You're, you're Billy Graham. You are the, you're like... America's pastor, they call you. You're, you're Billy Graham, even though he wasn't a pastor, he was an evangelist. Didn't he? So anyway, he, he's like, you are Billy Graham. And he's like, yes. He's like, you know what? I'm going to pay your ticket for you. And so he pulls out the, the money and, and he pays the ticket for him. He's like, on top of that, 
I'm going to take you out to dinner. And he takes him to the best restaurant in town. He's like, whoa, hey, I came here to be sentenced for my wrongdoing. Instead, you're paying the price for it. And you're taking me out to, on top of that. And Billy said, that is exactly the perfect example of what the grace of God is right there. You paid my price and you rewarded me on top of that for it. That. That, that works out pretty well for me. And so we have got to get a hold of this, that we have got the best end of this deal. And I can't tell you how many times Jesus has given me things that I don't deserve. Is there anybody else in here where you've got some things that you probably don't deserve right now? Come on. I mean, Jesus, is, he's bailed me out and done things for me that I, I didn't deserve, but I sure am glad he did it. I sure am glad he gave it to me. But it wasn't because I was good enough. It wasn't because I deserved it. It was because of his grace. That's the grace of God right there. And so a lot of times we're like, well, how could I ever pay you back? Do you ever say that to somebody? They do something nice for you. You know, they, they, they help you out. And you're like, how could I ever pay you back? What could I do for you? Well, come on. What, do I need, to, what, I need to go pick up Jesus' dry cleaning for him? I need to run some errand. No, I mean, what, what favor could I do for Jesus? I don't know. But what I could do, the only thing I could do is give him my entire life and say, and it's still not enough. I could say, I will live every day for the rest of my existence for you. But that's, I feel it's still not enough for what you've done for me. Because God's so good. And I want to look a little bit here at what he did on the cross. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 52. I like people that give 100% effort. Do you like people that are 100, give 100% effort? How would you like it if you were going into surgery and the doctor said, I like you. I'm going to give you 50% effort today. Like, I don't mean to complain, but could you maybe bump it up a little bit? Like, 50 is good, but I'm kind of, I'm paying you a lot of money. Can we go for like at least 75, 80? I mean, 100 would be great. But, but, uh, no, Jesus, it's no 50%. It's, there's no half with Jesus. It's all. He gave it all. But the amazing thing about Isaiah is this is written like a thousand years before Jesus was even born. But Isaiah prophesied in great detail about Jesus, about Jesus, about a savior was going to come to Israel and die for their sins and rescue them. And this was a thousand years, but, but let's, let's look what Isaiah saw before it ever even happened. This is a description of Jesus. It says, they shall see my servant beaten and bloodied, so disfigured one would scarcely know it was a person standing there. So shall he cleanse many nations. And so we, we have prophecy and this is how it was that Jesus was beaten so bad he wasn't even recognizable as a human being. You, you, could, you couldn't even tell I was a person standing there as how bloodied he was for us. I mean, are we getting it just a little bit here? He took a beating for us, man. He took an absolute beating for us. And how could we live a half-effort life for him? How could I not give him a hundred? How could I be anything less than giving him a hundred percent when he was beaten to the point of not even being recognized as a human being? This is Jesus we're talking about. He gave one hundred percent. Look at chapter 53. I'm in the living Bible on this, not the New Living Translation, but the living Bible. Because I felt that this gave a really good, uh, really good 
translation of this. But Isaiah 53, this is called the Messianic prophecy. This is a, a prophecy of Jesus' crucifixion way before it ever happened. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, We despised him and rejected him, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our grief he bore, our sorrows that weighed him down. It wasn't his own grief. It wasn't his own sorrows. It was our mistakes. It was our sins that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten so we could have peace. He was lashed and we were healed. We, every one of us, have strayed away like sheep. So everybody in this room, myself and you, have strayed away like sheep. We, who left God's path to follow our own, yet God laid on him the guilt and sins of every one of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he never said a word. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he stood silent before the ones condemning him. And you can read this in the Gospels. He was right there before Pilate, and Pilate said, you're not going to even say anything to defend yourself? Jesus didn't even defend himself. He didn't say, you know what, this is unfair. I'm dying for all these losers. I'm dying for all these guys. They're the ones that messed up. I didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't say a word. They put accusations against him. It was an unfair trial. It was in the middle of the night. He had no chance to even bring in his own witnesses. And they judge, jury, executioner right there in the middle of the night. It was the most unfair, unjust trial in the history of the world. And Jesus didn't say a thing. He was silent as a sheep is silent before the shearers. Verse 8, from prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people of that day realized it was their sins that he was dying for, that he was suffering their punishment? I should have been the one getting beat. I should have been the one dying on a cross. He was buried like a criminal, but in a rich man's grave. But he had done no wrong and had never spoken an evil word. But it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him and fill him with grief. However, when his soul had been made an offering for sin, then he shall have a multitude of children, many heirs, He shall live again and God's program, God's plan shall prosper in his hands. He lived again. He lives again. He has many errors. I am one of them. I am one of Jesus people. And when he sees all that is accomplished by the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant shall make many to be counted righteous before God, for he shall bear all their sins. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever read in my life right there, that I am a righteous person. A lot of times we're like, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Bless God, I'm a worm. I'm filthy and dirty and rotten. There's no good within me. Listen, I get your heart in that and I appreciate what you're trying to say. But I don't go around saying that stuff about me. What's the New Testament say? 
Jesus said in the New Testament, you have been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I, yeah, I used to be filth, man. I was trash. I was lower than, than whale dung. There was nothing worse than me. But because of who Jesus is, he says, no, 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 no. That's my brother right there. It says that I'm, he was the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He says, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, I was a nasty, filthy sinner, but I'm not anymore. Because of Jesus Christ, I have been made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I am a son of God. Thank you very much. You may not call me trash. You may not call me dirty, filthy, sinner, loser. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I am a son of God. I am a child of God and I am going to heaven someday and I am righteous on the inside. And it's not because I'm so awesome. It's not because I've done anything to deserve it. It's because Jesus Christ gave me grace. Jesus Christ gave me something I didn't deserve and took something that I did deserve. It's because of God's goodness that I'm righteous and I am going to heaven. I am a son of God and so are you. Amen. So. Jesus gave 100%. And one thing that I want to read to you is there was a, a Christian doctor. I believe he was a heart doctor. He gave, after studying scripture thoroughly, he gave a medical description of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. And I, you know, because a lot of times, you know, you read the scriptures, it says that he was crucified and we're like, oh man, that stinks. That must have been rough. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Because you don't know what a crucifixion is. You've seen the movies. You, 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 you've maybe heard a little bit, but you don't know because you're not, you're not, you know, you didn't grow up in ancient Rome. You didn't grow up back then where you saw people hanging on crosses. Jesus was not the only one to hang on a cross. This was the form of capital punishment. And so you'd be, I mean, they'd hang people naked on a cross beside the road. Kids could see it. It was awful. Crucifixion is the worst death that you could possibly have ever. But we don't get that. We, we just think, well, that stinks, man. But thank you, Lord. I'm glad you did it. But I want to read this medical description of what a crucifixion really is. And possibly it'll shine a little bit more light. And you'll finally maybe be a little more grateful for what it is Jesus did for us. And so the doctor writes this. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman soldier steps forward with the whip in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather strips with two small balls of lead attached to the ends of each. The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the heavy strips cut through the skin only. But then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into tissue producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels and the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by the following blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it's determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating finally stops. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take a stick and strike him across the head 
driving the crown of thorns deeper into his scalp. Then the heavy beam of the cross is tied across his shoulders, and the procession of the condemned Christ and two thieves begins its slow journey. The weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by severe blood loss, is too much. Jesus stumbles and falls down. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. And so we know that somebody helped him carry it the rest of the way. Finally, at at Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The soldier feels for the depression at the front of the wrist, and he drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some slack in movement. The left foot is then pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. And again, there's the searing agony of the nail through his feet. There's a searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between his bones. And as his arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one small, short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent Partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress his heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump thick, heavy, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp even small gulps of air. And then the dehydrated tissues send their their flood of stimuli to the brain. And that's when Jesus cries out, I thirst. We know the soldiers gave him some vinegar to drink. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against that nail, straightens his legs, takes a deep breath, and utters his seventh and final cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus died. And apparently to make doubly sure of death, the soldiers drove his, the soldier drove his spear through the fifth inner space between the ribs, upward and into the heart, and immediately there came out blood and water. We therefore have rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that our Lord died Not the usual crucifixion death of suffocation, but of heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid because water came from the heart. So I'm reading all that and I'm like, 
whoa, that's like mind-numbing that Jesus did that for me, and yet I'm just going to like, hey, Jesus, when I got time, I'll see you. Hey, Jesus, I got five minutes left over tonight. I could, I guess I could read your word. Hey, Jesus, can you give me this? Hey, Jesus, I really would like a new PlayStation. Hey, Jesus, it'd be great if you could give me a raise. Hey, Jesus, and very rarely ever a thank you. Hey, Jesus, could you, could you give me? Could you give me? Could you give me? Could you give me? And I'm just saying, I don't feel right doing that so much. I mean, it's good to go to him for stuff, but to never even stop and thank him. To never realize the magnitude of what he did on the cross. And that could have been us. That doesn't sound like fun. That could have been me. That could have been you. And as bad as that sounds, hell is a whole lot worse than that. It's a thousand times worse than that because it never ends. But Jesus did it for us. And so we're talking about being 100. We're talking about being 100%. Jesus gave 100%. He didn't do like we do. He didn't just show up when he felt like it. He didn't just, he didn't just, I don't feel like helping him today. Jesus gave 100%. That's a big deal. But the good news is this, number three, is that he is still there for us 100% of the time. Can I get an amen today on that? He's stuck 100% of the time because sometimes we get stuck just on the cross. Sometimes we, we talk about Jesus in the past tense. And you gotta realize that Jesus is not in my past tense. Okay, He's in my present. He's also in my future. Jesus isn't somebody that lived a thousand years ago. Jesus is still alive, people. He rose from the dead. Jesus still exists. He's just as alive as he's ever been. And he is also in my future. But he's still there for us 100% of the time. I want to look at one more verse today. Matthew chapter 28. Are we getting anything today? Jesus is the real deal. And it would do us some good, man. It would do you a whole lot of good to just spend a little bit of time. And I'm learning this because it's real easy to just go to the Lord with all of our needs. And we should. We should take it all to him. He wants us to. But it's really nice to just go to him and say, God, you know what? I'm not even here to ask for anything today. I just want to take a few minutes to talk to you, tell you I love you, to thank you for what you've already done. Because you've already done more than I deserve. You've already given me way more than I deserve. I just want to come and thank you for a little bit and tell you how much I love you. And, and, and let me tell you this. When we go to God with that attitude, when we go to God with an attitude of just seeking him and not seeking his stuff, because sometimes we, we seek the blessings, but we don't seek the blesser. We want all the good stuff, man. It's like having a rich friend. Like we like him a lot because, hey, he pays for all the parties. He pays for all the good stuff. I mean, he's awesome. He's got the, he's got the resources. And yes, Jesus does have the resources. But isn't it nice to just love him just because? Isn't it nice to just seek him just because? And you'll find that when you can get to that level of your faith, when you can grow to the level of Christianity where you can just seek God out of pure love for him, that's when you start to experience the presence of God. You start to experience what it feels like to be in his presence.
Because, you know, I hear people like, I don't get it. This guy, he's like, it's like he can really feel the gods right there. And then we don't go by a feeling anyway. But yeah, man, when you start to really seek God for who he is, yes, absolutely. You can sense his presence a lot more often than when you're just that cousin that shows up every time you need a handout. Come on, let's get real. And so it's nice to just love Jesus for who he is, not just for what he can do in your life. Matthew 28, verse 20. I'll read this in the Living Bible also. This is right before Jesus went to heaven. He, he's risen from the dead. And he says, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so I can tell you this much. I can say this without fear of any contradiction. Jesus has never left me ever. In the times that I my my stupidest, dumbest things I've ever done. Jesus has never left me. Now, I've had people that have promised, man, I'll be there. Hey, I've got your back. I've had people betray me. I've had people leave me and my family more times than I care to count. And so have you. But Jesus has never done that to me ever, ever. He's been there 100 percent of the time. He's the best friend that I could have ever asked for. He's a much better friend than I am. He's been a lot better to me than I've been to him. He's been much better to me than I've been to him. I'm ashamed to say that, but I think we could all say that. And so the last thing that I want to throw out there today is this. You don't have to turn there, but uh, at least if it's not on your handout, write this down. 2 Timothy 2.13. It's a beautiful scripture. 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Isn't that beautiful? If we are unfaithful... He doesn't just become fine. They're not going to be faithful to me. I'm not going to be faithful to them. See how they like it. No, if we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is at his core. He is love and he is faithful. That's the Jesus that we serve. And so as we're kind of wrapping things down today, I just I want to lay this out there to you, man. There's not a lot of things in this world that you can count on 100 percent of the time. There's definitely not one person in this world that we can count on 100% of the time because no matter what, people are going to fail you. There's, there's no system. There's no, there's nothing in this world that's 100% accurate, but we do have this one thing, this one thing, and that's Jesus and that he will always be there for us. Even if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. He's 100%. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.